Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and today I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to cover two episodes at once. Today I'm discussing what I consider unsupported archetypes in Lost Caverns of Ixalan. Uh, as always, the notes are available to follow along at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. And so I'm talking about green, white, and red, black, which are totally different archetypes with somewhat different things going on. It's a little bit weird to lump both of them in one episode, but I honestly didn't really feel like either deserved a full episode. And there's kind of like some similar stuff and some different stuff going on with each of them. So yeah, let's get into it. So I personally feel like I've been looking for opportunities to try drafting green-white or red-black in my own drafts, and those opportunities just never present themselves because there's just nothing that really makes you want to pair those colors with each other. If I'm starting in you know, either one of those colors, usually I'll find some explicit synergy that I want to pursue with a different color as opposed to like you know, if I start white, nothing's going to pull me into green. If I start green, nothing's going to pull me into white. And the same situation with red and black. I'm not the only one having this experience. Uh, red, black, green, white, and blue, green are the three least drafted archetypes as per 17 lands. Green, white actually has a decent win rate, uh, unlike red, black, and blue, green. I'm not going to talk about blue, green a lot on this podcast. I think... Drafting it largely falls into the like descend space, although I think that those decks typically prefer to have black. I think that what's going on with blue-green is kind of what's usually going on with blue-green, where it's just rare that you want to play only blue and green rather than blue and green with other colors. And what blue-green is doing is like kind of clear and mostly supported, although again, it's just so much better with black that it doesn't come up a lot. But I, I think of blue-green a little bit differently, and I think of blue-green as something I've kind of already discussed. So I want to focus on red-black and green-white. I think the issue with both of these is that they just aren't structurally supported. It's clear that there are cards that were intended for the red and black archetype at common. Specifically, red and black both have commons that care about having descended this turn, and given that the red-black uncommon cares about the same trigger condition like that's what the set says you're supposed to be trying to do the problem is that the commons are horrible like before playing with them just reading them and comparing them to other cards in the set it was just clear that you weren't getting a good rate like it's not easy to trigger them every turn and even if you do they're still mostly slow and not very good this for me is clearest in the context of comparing the red 4 mana 3-3 three, three trample that gets bigger to Adaptive Gem Guard. The white 4 mana 3-3 three, three that uh, gets bigger much more easily and more often, although notably it doesn't trample. But yeah, the, the if you descended this turn cards are just, they, they just weren't pushed. They needed to scale in some way where the thing that they offered mattered if you like bothered to do it every turn, and they just really don't. Notably, because I've never had an opportunity to draft any of these decks, I 
did some significant digging through the 17 lands trophy decks to see what these decks looked like when they were successful for other people and with red black in particular i would say that the decks were very low synergy and notably never did the if you descended this turn thing like i saw no copies of the three mana menace goblin the four mana trample three three that grows or the four mana four three that makes uh one ones those were just not cards that were present in red black decks the trophy there are some minor synergies that you can support in red black you can do some amount of like my cards care about artifacts using like the few black artifacts that exist to support the red artifact theme and you can use uh, Volatile Wanderglyph, the 2-2 that rummages when it becomes tapped, to help fill your graveyard for the Descend stuff. But for the most part, uh, your, the red-black decks were a bunch of good removal and some bombs. I think that it's going to be the case anytime you have an archetype that's super low synergy and like generally not really supported, there's not a lot of reason to be drafting it. What's going to happen is most of the time that people actually trophy with decks that are those colors, they have three or more very good rares spread across those colors. And the reason they're drafting those colors together is because they have good rares in each of the colors. That was true with basically every red, black, or green, white deck that I looked at. Like I would look at a deck and I'd be like, oh, that's two really good rares. That doesn't seem like enough for a trophy. I bet there's another one. And then I'd keep looking and it'd be like, yep, that's another premium rare. Oh, here's another also good rare. Like they usually, I think that they average more than four rares where three of them were like, you know, very high, like win rate rares, like in the 60 plus percent win rate type space. So yeah, I, I think that, you know, both of these archetypes, like when they do well, they do well, not because of any particular synergies present, but just because you can draft reasonable cards that support the bombs that you see and the bombs that being in these colors would be the only reason to draft these colors together green white's in a slightly different space than red black green white is pretty clearly supposed to be built around pumping your creatures but there just aren't really meaningful payoffs for doing so there's like the green white uncommon legendary creature and then like the mythic i guess and basically nothing else that really cares about doing that thing. As I suspected when I dug into it, the best performing common in green-white is actually Miner's Guidewing, um, the one mana, one one flying uh, vigilance that lets something else explore when it dies because that's the creature that has the best keywords um, to uh, put your like counters and other things that pump it on. Green-white, as an archetype, is basically just put counters on Guidewing uh, as far as what it does that you can't do better in another color combination. That said, so like the top performing common in green-white is Guidewing. The next performing is uh, Ultec Cloud Guard because it's another good way to get a flyer. And then you can make them bigger with like the one, two that puts counters on things in white and Malament Scythe, the three mana flash equipment in green and the two mana uncommon artifact that comes with two counters. And you can tap it and put a counter on something and it gets a counter when something with a counter dies. 
One card that I thought would be pretty good in green-white, but the stats don't support that, but I'm still kind of a believer, is Over the Edge, the sorcery that uh, makes a creature explore twice or can kill an artifact or enchantment. I don't think that you should play it if you are like an aggressive deck that doesn't have a lot of guide wings, but I do think that just casting over the edge on guide wing on turn two is a reasonable game plan. Like you either end up with a two, two flying vigilance and a card, a three, three flying vigilance, or you just draw two cards and all those outcomes seem fine. Another thing that's, that I noticed about green, white is it basically never played anything that cost five, but often had like two or three cards that cost six. So you have like a pretty low curve and then there would just be like some six mana dinosaurs, uh, any combination of like land cyclers or cavern stomper or sometimes dread maws. And that actually kind of makes, makes a little bit of sense to me. And cavern stomper actually is a pretty good win rate in green white. I think that green white is trying to be an aggressive deck, but it's, I was trying to figure out a way to phrase like the archetype that it is. And I settled on realistic, like it doesn't have the best synergies or the fastest clock. You want to like get some pressure going in the air and then kind of like stall the ground and hope that your like air pressure carries you through to a win but you have to accept that like sometimes that's not going to happen and your opponent's going to be able to kill your flyers or they're going to have their own like reach creatures or whatever that can block and then you're going to need need to be able to finish in the late game and so it plays like just a couple like big dinosaur finishers for when like plan a doesn't work out and you have to like find some way to like win the game eventually and I think that, like, including that kind of, like, one or two card backup plan makes a decent amount of sense for the deck. Also, after the Flyers, several of the, like, next tier of best performing cards are things like Petrify and Whatley's Final Strike, which kind of solidifies the idea that this is, like, more of a mid-range deck and also... Again, it's like a little bit low synergy compared to other stuff that's going on. So you need some cards to like break up your opponent's synergy. So it's a mid-range deck with the ability to steal some wins with the like pump of flyer draws and then some late game power. And of course, you wouldn't be here without bombs. And I think that's basically what's going on in a successful green-white deck. You know, you're an aggro deck, but you're not, like, super low to the ground all-in aggro because you don't have any reach outside of Staggering Strike. Uh, reaches in ways to close out a game when you're close to winning rather than reaches in a mechanic that allows you to block flyers. So you can... The more staggering sizes you have, the more you can push things into... Like, the more you can pursue just being, like, a really focused aggressive deck... And I do think Staggering Size is really good in green-white. But if you have like two or fewer of them, then I think you want to be prepared for the idea that some portion of the time you're going to like end up getting stalled into this mid-range game plan. And then you're in a space where I think typically the successful way to break through, uh, according to stats, is to use dinosaurs. You could also... Um, pick up the like gem guard synergy pocket that I've discussed in other white decks 
where you have adaptive gem guard and uh, the tote and uh, the thing that gives it flying, the um, Ultec landmark, and then also staggering size to give it trample. And you just kind of try to make a big thing and push it through if the game stalls. I think that's a reasonable like package for green white to include as an alternate way to like win the long game is when your like aggro flyer plan gets stopped. And then of course, really you just want a bunch of like petrifies and polyphys final strikes to kill the reach creatures to like keep your flying aggro plan going if you can get it. But sometimes that works out and sometimes it doesn't. And that basically covers what I think is going on with green white. And then in red black, I think red black is very consistently going to want to be like a long game, small game attrition deck. Like you just want to be trading resources and killing their stuff. You do want a pretty low curve because you can grind well with the cheap cards and there's no reason to like use more expensive cards to do the same job, basically. Uh, this is another um, archetype where one of the expensive cards that you do want is uh, Panicked Altasaur. Again, just you're playing a controlling game, and Panicked Altasaur is Red Black's best source of virtual card advantage. Uh, virtual card advantage is a concept that I don't know that I discuss all that often, uh, but basically the idea that one of your card can, cards can hold off several of your opponent's cards. So large creatures that block well are good at providing virtual card advantage because they stop all of your opponent's small creatures from attacking as long as they're around and threatening to block. So Panicked Altasaur is useful because it can be around and threatening to block, and it can also threaten to block the flying creatures, so that's extra virtual card advantage it can provide because it can answer both large medium-sized ground creatures and medium-sized flyers. And then also, while it's playing this defensive role, it's also still clocking your opponent because of its tap ability. So this is another archetype where that's like the good top end to be in. Looking at the top performing commons in red-black, notably the top performing common overall is Tithing Blade followed by Volatile Wanderglyph, with both Atalia's Favor and Plundering Pirates ahead of a braid, and a braid significantly ahead of, say, Join the Dead. So um, it's kind of this like, little value stuff that's contributing more to wins than just efficient removal, uh, possibly because red and black has a lot of efficient removal and good blockers available. And so what you're looking for is the stuff that's going to give you an edge when your removal is trading off. Plundering Pirate, notably, is a decent way to support the village rights type, or the deadly dispute type card, where you can sack a creature artifact, draw two, make a map. You can sack the treasure from the pirate so that you never really have to go down a card to get that going. I think that that's maybe a bigger part of what pirate's doing in red-black than, like, ramping you to something. Although, you know, playing an Altasaur early is fine. But, yeah, I, th I think, like, with green-white... The stated thing is, like, make your creatures bigger, and then there's not really a lot of reward for doing that beyond just the fact that you've made a creature bigger. But that doesn't mean that you don't want to make a creature bigger. It just means that you really need to prioritize, like, the flying creatures that are actually worth making bigger. So green-white's not really trying to trick you or trap you. It just 
isn't really enticing you to begin with. Red black also isn't really enticing you if you have decent like power level card evaluation. But if you're just kind of willing to trust that you should do what the cards say that you should do, then you can get trapped with red black because like all of the like there there's a clear push toward hey if you draft all these bad cards together like they'll work better but the problem is that them working well doesn't get them out of being bad and so the trick to drafting red black is to not take any of the dedicated red and black cards and to just draft it as like a kind of tr historically traditional red black attrition deck and just prioritize normal red black attrition stuff where you just have good removal some late game value stuff and again presumably some good rares because otherwise there are better cards to pair with your red or black cards because you can get some actual synergies the uncommons in both of these color pairs i do think are pretty good the problem is that I don't think either, uh, like the other color pairs also have good gold uncommons, but then they have additional support beyond that, where red, black, and green, white basically just have a good gold card. My conclusion here isn't that you should never draft either of these archetypes or that they're very bad or that they can't win. It's that there's not a lot of clear incentive to try to draft either of these archetypes built into the set and so you really need to just be in a seat where you're where probably you've seen multiple rares um and the rares are telling you to be those colors or maybe where you know you take one of these uncommons kind of speculatively and then maybe you see another and like these colors are just very open or whatever i wouldn't recommend taking the green white or red black com uncommons early in a draft but if you start to see them around like fifth to eighth pick fifth to tenth pick then it's you know a decent sign that no one else is going for that archetype you're getting a pretty strong card late if you're in a space where you can you know, you're committed to one of these colors and not the other, it would be reasonable to like take it and see if you're supposed to like move in and fully commit. But for me, at least the way that I draft, it's been really, really hard to find a window into drafting either of these decks, even when I'm kind of looking for it to have, um, you know, more information for a podcast like this to discuss it. So eventually I decided that I was never going to really like the, these decks just aren't enough of a thing that it was going to make sense for me to uh, really pursue it. And so I gave up and <laughs> this is what we got out of it. Uh, a brief discussion covering what's going on roughly with each of them and um, just the idea that I don't think either of these are especially important to know how to draft because avoiding them is going to be right more often than not but i know that um you know it, it's always going to come up sometimes that you happen to get some rares that put you into any particular lane and it's best to know what to do with it so um you know good to be prepared but not something that you should be like really looking for i think so uh yeah i'm going to 
turn this over to chat now for questions. As always, during this transition, I want to request, I suppose, that uh, if you're enjoying the podcast and want to get more out of it or give uh, back to me and the others involved behind the scenes in making this podcast, check out patreon.com slash drafting archetypes for the smoothest way to contribute to the podcast. And um, if you don't want to do that, as always, uh, it's also good to just, you know, leave reviews or tweet about stuff I've covered or tell friends about the podcast if you have found it interesting and useful. All right. With that said, I've found that green-white usually wants a blue splash, but it's interesting that Simic also isn't great. What are my feelings on Bant? Well, blue and green, I mean, sorry, blue and white play well together in that, um, you know, Guide Mural is both strong and due to peculiarities in the uncommon print run and its interaction with DFCs, uh, Guide Mural is more common than the other gold uncommons. That said, I don't think Guide Mural plays especially well with green as its third color, but uh, because Guide Mural is white-white to flip, it's kind of, you know, reasonable to splash uh, in any white deck, um, and green can help with that splash. So you can have, like, frogs that are helping you to cast your Guide Mural, I guess. But uh, outside of, I guess... You're getting Guide Mural and you're getting a little bit more of the like explore and map type stuff to support your plus one plus one counter theme out of blue. And then also maybe some extra flyers. I could kind of see it. It feels like it's slowing the deck down from the like aggressive space that it would theoretically like to opt like occupy. Um, so Again, I mean, because I haven't actually been in the spot myself, I don't have a lot of personal experience to draw from there. Theoretically, I don't think I want to be splashing most of the time, but I mean, you are playing green, and I did mention that, like, while you're trying to be aggressive, you do accept that, like, sometimes things are going to stall out and you want to lay game plans, so I could see it. How often do you try to carve out a space for, uh, the green-white uncommon in four to five color pile with some support seems like focus green-white. Yeah, Cutsil. I haven't had a lot of desire to fit Cutsil into like a multicolor deck rather than a green-white deck because the thing it's paying you for is really a thing that green-white are better at doing, and the multicolor stuff isn't really trying to do. And I'm also not usually like base green white in those like multicolor decks. So yeah, I, I think I think Cutsil is usually going to end up in like an actual green white deck rather than a multicolor deck, even though the green white decks like don't come together a lot. My limited experience with both these color pairs is getting really hooked up in white or red, then ending up with higher card quality or higher quality of supporting cards in green or black. Than the colors I would expect to pair them with. I think that that makes a ton of sense. I think that the easiest way to get into this kind of space is 
if you are basically like if you happen to be in the kind of seat where you can stay monocolor for the first half of the first pack and then choose your second color toward the end of the pack based on what's open i i think that you know that that's the way that it makes you know you start out green open-ended you're like i don't know what my second color is i don't care there are all these good green cards i'm just gonna keep taking good green cards and then you get to like pick seven or whatever and there's like a petrify or a guidewing or a, a ulta cloud guard or something in the pack and you're like well i guess i'll take this card because it's really good and maybe white will be my second color and then uh you know the next pack has another white card and you're like all right i found my lane because like early on i think if you're you know you start with a green card and then there's not another green card uh, you're going to try to take a card that's like not white out of the next pack because green white's not great. Um, and like a lot of the green cards that you would start with pack one, pick one, aren't going to like put you in a space where uh, white is like the thing that works best with them. But uh, once you're like much later in the pack, it's more like it's just going to be one clear color that's open and then you move into there. And then the same thing can happen with red black where you know, you start with a black card or a red card and four of your next five or four of your first five picks or whatever end up being that same color. And then you get to the back of the pack and uh, the unusual pairing is what's open. And uh, I think that's just generally a like very reasonable narrative for how you would end up in a less commonly drafted color pair in any format. If the opportunity presented itself to draft either of these archetypes, would I or would I want to avoid it now that the podcast is in the books? I personally always like uh, exploring stuff that I haven't had a chance to explore. So, um, you know, I and I'm rarely in a draft where I, you know, am super invested in the results of that particular draft. So certainly if I'm drafting on Arena and I see an opportunity to uh, draft one of those archetypes, I still would. If I were playing in a like high-stakes draft, I'm not going to refuse if it seems like the pick that makes the most sense at the time. Um, I've certainly drafted uh, my fair share of speculative archetypes or archetypes that weren't really what I was hoping to draft because it just felt right. Like, I... I I'm not one to force rather than just kind of following what the packs tell me to. So I, I certainly can't say I wouldn't. How well does black red use another chance? Quite well. Uh, another chance is a very strong black card and very strong attrition card. And um, given that you're playing kind of an attrition game, you're very happy to have this like high value two for one uh, to help do that. More often with those, I'm settling into the second color in like mid-pack two. Yeah, so, I mean, sometimes your one color is open enough that uh, your one color basically through a lot of the draft or you're like one color with, um, you know, a bunch of possible secondary pivots that you could move into. And then, uh, you know, the thing that tells you to be the, like that solidifies your second color happens Later, I was more saying the first time it could happen in that kind of way is mid-pack one, but it could certainly happen, you know, early pack two where you just like open a bomb in the second color or mid-pack two where 
you get past something. And anywhere, you know, pick eight through 25 of the draft or whatever would be a reasonable uh, time for that kind of uh, staying open-ended one color, then choosing a second color type narrative. All right. Well, slightly off topic, but I'll go with it because it is another unsupported archetype. Do I have experience with Simic Tempo, overstated green creatures and blue flyers, early drops, tricks, and bounce? So the cash card or whatever, the uh, two-mana uncommon that has the two counters and you can tap it to put a counter on something um and then it gets a counter on a thing with a counter and it dies that generally works well with explore can theoretically support the blue green explore thing and in general like there is this kind of like merfolk aggro deck that's like supposed to exist and doesn't really come together and uh that deck doesn't really care about descend because it cares about explore as it's like theoretical thing i'm not sure if I think I maybe had a deck that was trying to do that once and not like very committed to it. Um, I do think that it can happen. It's, you know, comparably unlikely to black, red and green, white and notably presumably less successful. Like uh, blue green has pretty bad win rates on 17 lands. Um, and there are going to be a lot of, I mean, you know, you're trying to build an aggro deck out of colors that have relatively less support for aggro decks than other colors. So everything needs to work out pretty well in terms of just the right cards being there in the draft. Uh, not something I would be like going out of my way to do, but something where like the cards to do it do theoretically exist and it can come together. And then another question about straight Mardu. That would be like a caves deck basically for me um where i happened to basically it's a cave deck where i didn't see benthosaur um i don't remember if that's happened or not um it would also likely have some uh i guess it's also like it would it would definitely so if i were to imagine a mardu deck it would probably have both a cave theme and an artifact theme and a bit of a sacrifice theme maybe and it would definitely be very 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 much on the attrition end of things as to whether i've actually drafted that i don't honestly remember but i do know like which cards make sense in that space yeah the black white episode might have talked about uh how it splashes well and could splash red what my plan would be if Rakdos is the open lane. It seems really hard to bring together because most of the red cards are aggressive and black is not aggressive at all. Yeah, I would not be trying to be aggressive. Um, like, I don't think that uh, Rakdos wants to prioritize uh, Goblin Tomb Raider, even if it's like, care, even if it has like a good number of artifacts for the most part. Um, I'm very, very much viewing it as an attrition deck. And again, I, I want a low curve, I want a lot of two and three mana spells, uh, I want a lot of removal and um, value two for one type stuff where I can get it. Uh, anything from Tithing Blade where it kills a creature and then offers like a threat of sorts to um, Wanderglyph to help improve my draws to uh, the like Fanatical Offering I think is the name of the Deadly Spute type card. Um, and then if I have some ways to sacrifice it, then I'm interested in the Fetic Draft and uh, another chance, any of that kind of value stuff, and then just like 
a lot of efficient, versatile removal, looking less for torches and uh, idols, looking more for uh, like abrades and join the deads and um, wouldn't hate playing one of the five mana exile scry cards. But I, you know, I, I want to make sure that my removal is gonna work against what my opponent's doing, I guess. Am I interested in any red descend creatures? Hard no. The only red descend creature I can think of is the, if you descended this turn, uh, get a counter on it, 3-3 three, three trample. Um, uh, you never want to put any of the if you descended this turn uncommons in your deck. Or commons. The if you descended this turn commons should not go anywhere near any of your decks of any color combination. But uh, the uncommons are okay. Oh, there's also the Scallywag that makes a treasure at Uncommon. That one is playable but unexciting. Um, I wouldn't necessarily hate to have that in a red-black deck, but it's not a priority. I am also interested in, you know, actual Descend cards in black. Like, um, you know, uh, Echo of Dusk is a very good card that's going to be good in red-black. But the Descended this turn stuff is a trap. All right. I think I'm going to wrap it up there. So thanks everyone for listening. Uh, thanks especially to those of you who offered questions for additional discussion. I am at this exact moment undecided about whether or not I will be taking a week off next week for the holidays. Uh, I need to figure out, look at my exact schedule and figure stuff out. So I might be back next week. I might not. Uh, regardless, Happy holidays, thanks for listening, and I'll uh, see you again before too long. Uh, bye for now, everyone. Prepare for light speed.